بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده رسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله خير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So our lecture today is on the story of Musa alayhi salam and Fir'aun and this is from the many stories of the Quran in which the prophets are mentioned along with their message, along with their trials and struggles, along with the uh, oppression of the people towards them, and how eventually Allah Azawajal, He aided them and supported them and gave them victory. And these stories in the Quran of the prophets and messengers, they serve a purpose. And as the Qur'an was being revealed upon the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, these stories were recounted to him. And we are given the reason and the wisdom behind that as occurs in the statement of Allah Azawajal, وَكُلًّا نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الرُّسُلِ مَا, ما نُثَبِّتُ بِهِ فُؤَادَكَ And, meaning all of that we rehearse to you, we mention to you, we relate to you the stories of the messengers by which we make firm your heart, by which we make, make firm your heart. And so as the messenger of Allah he's ordered to invite the Quraysh, the pagan Quraysh, and likewise when he moved to Medina, and he encountered a new environment where there were believers and hypocrites, and likewise the Yahud, the Jews, and he faced a different set of trials. Then in the course of this, in both of these uh, situations, in Mecca and in Medina, these stories of the prophets and messengers were recounted in the Quran. And in all of the stories of these prophets and messengers, we see there are wisdoms and lessons that we can take. So for example, in the story of Nuh salam, who called his people for 950 years, in this we see we take patience upon da'wah. If Nuh salam called his people alongside all of the mockery and the derision and, you know, uh, how they treated him, accused him of, of, of many, many different things, of you know, sorcery, magic, and other things. And he persisted upon that da'wah for 950 years. Then how can we not have patience for 10, 20, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? So in the story of Nuh, from the main lessons, is patience upon da'wah, da'wah to tawheed. And likewise in the story of Ayyub, salam, who was afflicted, with a tremendous illness which was very harmful 
and distressing to him. And he lost his health and his wealth and his you know, belongings and whatever else. And so in that is a lesson for a person who is afflicted with disease and illness to console that person. And similarly in the stories of the other prophets, we have the story of Ibrahim, Ali Salam, and you know, his travels, his journey uh, in calling people to Allah, in calling to the Tawheed of Allah is establishing the house for Allah's worship and his arguments with his people who are star worshippers and his argument with the tyrant Nimrud and you know, establishing the uluhi of Allah. In all of this, there are many, many different lessons for us to take. So in the stories of the prophets and messengers in the Quran, there is a consolation, there is support and strength for the messenger of Allah Sallallahu and he himself was ordered to relate these stories to his nation. And so in turn for us, there are lessons and wisdoms and a strengthening and a fortification in the stories of the prophets and messengers. So one of those stories which in fact is the story that is most often told of any prophet or any of the past prophets and messengers is the story of Musa alayhi salam. And as is mentioned, we see that this story is related or is, is mentioned about Musa alayhi salam starting from Surah Al-Baqarah all the way to Surah Al-Fajr, which is the 89th Surah from basically spanning the whole of the Quran. And between these two Surahs, there are between 25 to 27 surahs that contain a mention of some aspects of the story of Musa salam. And Musa salam himself is mentioned by name in excess of 120, 125 times. And Fir'aun of all of the disbelievers, of all of the people of disbelief, his name is mentioned in excess of 70 times. And so this indicates the greatness of this story and there are many many elements of the story of Musa and Fir'aun and it's not possible really to cover everything in a single lecture uh, but there are many aspects to the story there is the aspect of Musa al-Islam himself and the story as it relates to him there is the aspect of um, the story of Fir'aun as a tyrant and as a very arrogant, oppressive individual, there is also the story of the believer from the family of Fir'aun. There was a believer who came out and he expressed his belief. And just that, when he came out and he gave advice uh, in the presence of Fir'aun and to the, to the people of Fir'aun to, to believe in Musa Islam, just that in itself is a whole story in itself. Or there is the story of his wife, Asiya bint, uh, bint uh, Muzahim, radiallahu anhu. Just her story as well. There is, there is you know, a lesson or a discussion in relation to that as well. Similarly, the magicians of Fir'aun, because they became believers and Fir'aun killed them, he crucified them. And again, there's a dialogue between these magicians and with uh, Fir'aun. And so that in itself is a whole subject area as well. So the point being that this is a, is a tremendous story with so many different aspects to it, each of which can be elaborated upon and discussed and from which many, many benefits can be taken. So what we are going to do, inshallah ta'ala, is 
Ibn Kathir in his book on Qasas uh, al-Anbiya, he has put together the whole story in uh, a nice uh, order. So we'll try to work through this and perhaps it might take a lesson, two, um, perhaps two lessons, three lessons. So we'll try to make this a series insha'Allah ta'ala. Um, so he begins by giving the title, a mention, Dhikru Qissati Musa Al-Kaleem والسلام, a mention of the story of Musa, the one spoken to والسلام. So Musa السلام, his lineage his name, his lineage is Musa bin Imran. His father is called Imran, Musa bin Imran, bin Qahith, bin Qahith, uh, bin, and then some people they add bin Azir, bin Azir. So Musa bin Imran, bin Qahith, bin Azir, bin Lawi, bin Lawi. And this Lawi is the brother of Yusuf alayhi salam. He's from the offspring of Ya'qub. Ya'qub had 12 sons. So this Lawi is the brother of Yusuf alayhi salam. So Musa bin Imran bin Qahith bin Azir bin Lawi bin Ya'qub. Bin Ya'qub. And Ya'qub is the son of Ishaq. And Ishaq is the son of Ibrahim alayhi salam. So this is his lineage. As you can see, between Musa and Lawi, who is the brother of Yusuf, there are only three, only three generations in between. And Lawi is the son of Ya'qub, who is the son of Ishaq, who is the son of Ibrahim. So Musa al-Islam is from the descendants of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And as for Ibrahim السلام, then he, his lineage comes from uh, the sons of, uh, from one of the sons of, uh, there is Nuh and there is his son Sam. And from Sam there is um, a number of sons and from them is Aram, Aram, right? Nuh, Sam, Aram. And from Aram, there's different names, Iram and Aram. From him come many of the Arabs, the Arab nations which are mentioned in the Quran. The Ad and the Thamud and numerous others. Right? So there were Arab nations who were mentioned in the Quran, who were present in Arabia, some of them in Yemen, the Ad, Thamud, which were in the north and above, above Medina. They were, they were from the Arab, from the Arabs who perished, who no longer exist. And so those nations, those, those Arab nations, they came, they, 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 their uh, ancestor or their forefather is Aram, Aram. And from them comes Ibrahim alayhi salam. Right, so that is his background. So now that you have a good idea of Musa alayhi salam, he's from the Bani Israel, but he comes from Lawi, from the offspring of Lawi, which in, in English they, they say Levi, Levi. So, uh, Allah Zawajal, he mentions in the Quran, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ مُوسَىٰ إِنَّهُ كَانَ مُخْلِسًا وَكَانَ رَسُولًا نَبِيًّا Mentioned in the book, mentioned in the book, Musa, indeed he was مُخْلِسًا, he was one who is sincere. وَكَانَ رَسُولًا نَبِيًّا 
and he was a Rasul, he was a messenger, and he was a Nabi. He was a messenger and a Nabi. وَنَادَيْنَاهُ مِنْ جَانِبِ الطُّورِ الْأَيْمَنِ وَقَرَّبْنَاهُ نَجِيَّ And we called him from the side of, from the right side of the Datur, the mountain, and we brought him near to ourselves. وَوَحَبْنَا لَهُ مِنْ رَحْمَتِنَا أَخَاهُ هَارُونَ نَبِيَّا And then we also granted to him from a mercy, out of mercy from ourselves, his brother Harun as a prophet. So, Ibn Kathir begins by mentioning who is Musa salam. He is described with all of these qualities. Ar-Risala, he was given the messengership. An-Nubuwa, he was given prophethood. He's described as mukhlis, with, with, with sincerity, al-ikhlas, with at-taqrib, meaning one who is brought near to Allah Azawajal. And that Allah bestowed a bounty upon him by making him, uh, make, uh, making his brother to be a prophet alongside him in order to strengthen him. So the story of Musa alayhi salam, as Ibn Kathir mentions, is, is, is related in many different parts of the Quran. And he says that what we're going to do here is to bring all of that together and uh, discuss it in light of the, the Quran, the Sunnah, and what is related in the Athar of the Salaf, insha'Allah. So after this brief introduction, uh, we should understand, just as a, as, as a side point, that the prophets and messengers of Allah Azawajal, they bring wahi from Allah Azawajal. They do not bring anything from themselves. And so they bring the ilm of Allah, the knowledge of Allah, and within that is that which is beneficial for the servants, beneficial for them in this life, and, ben and, ben and beneficial for them in the next life. And so they bring al-ilm al-nafir, which is beneficial knowledge. And al-amalu salih. This is what the prophets and messengers bring. They bring beneficial knowledge, knowledge that will truly benefit you. It is beneficial in and of itself. And they bring you righteous action. Action which if you do, which if you perform, it is beneficial to you. And it is beneficial to the society around you. And through this, the prophets and messengers, they rectify the earth. They rectify societies, they rectify individuals, and they rectify the, the earth. And they prepare people for that which is inevitable, which is the accounting, being held to account for your deeds, the resurrection and the accounting, and then paradise and hellfire. And so this, this is the, the knowledge and the sciences of the prophets and messengers. It derives from the ilm of Allah Azawajal. In contrast, we have different groups of people. We have on the one hand, those who are the magicians and the sorcerers who claim knowledge of the unseen. And they are kadhabun, they are liars. And the people who follow shahawat, they are driven by shahawat, the desire for wealth and, and whatever else. And on the other hand, and so these people often claim knowledge of the unseen, but they are really liars. And they collaborate with the jinn. The information comes from the jinn. And so we need to distinguish between the prophets and messengers and the kadhabin, the lies and the magicians. And so we see in the story of Musa salam, there will be mentioned magicians who come you know, later on in the story. And likewise, another group, they are the philosophers, the naturalists. These are people who just ramble from what is in their own heads. They study what they call the natural world. And from that, they try to 
bring conjectures and opinions about how it began and what its purpose is and they are just clueless misguided and they all differ and oppose with each other they cannot unite upon any you know single way or single opinion and that's why amongst these philosophers you have so many different ideologies and philosophies and you know and whereas when you contrast them with the prophets and messengers all of the prophets and messengers have a single united word a single united word from the beginning from the first room to the last of them all of their all of their word is united and one and this is a proof that their source is one it is from allah azawajal and as for these people these rambling uh, nonsensical uh, the, the philosophers what they ramble you see them from the beginning to the last of them uh, you won't find two of them agreeing with each other with each other any you have so many different you know opinions and ideas about what is good what is evil what is moral what is immoral what is this and then when you look at the individual lives of these people you see that the most depraved and sickening of people that you will ever come across many of them so the point being that the prophets and the messengers of allah they bring beneficial knowledge and they bring righteous action by way of whatever allah legislates to them for their nation which is for their benefit in this life and the next so we see in surah uh, surah uh, al-qasas which is the 28th surah this surah discusses the story in quite some detail from the beginning of the surah so at the beginning of this surah qasin mim tilka ayatul kitab al-mubin natlu alayka min naba'i musa wa fir'aun bil-haqq these are the signs of a clear book we shall rehearse to you from the story of Musa and Fir'aun in truth for a people who believe so here the story is going to be recounted in truth because there are versions of this story which, which do not contain the truth that which you find amongst the Yahud and the Nasara, which is found in their books, and what you find amongst Western scholarship, and what you find, there are many aspects of the stories which are, which, which are wrong, which are incorrect. And also because the Yahud, the Jews, have played with their book, and so they've omitted details, or they have added details, and they have changed things. And because this was written, the, 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 the Torah, the, the, what they claim to be the Torah, was written a thousand years after Musa salam, or it began to be written more than a thousand years after the time of Musa salam. and so what they what they have with them is is not the actual Torah of Musa salam, rather it is something that they put together themselves and you know we cannot really rely upon the information even though there are clearly aspects of truth in the in that in, in the Torah there are many things which which are, are incorrect and that's why we see here that we rehearse upon you meaning O Muhammad from the story of Musa and Fir'aun with the truth to a people who believe now before we continue this Fir'aun who he is and what time he lived in has been a subject of great debate and controversy and the fact of the matter is that in our Islamic sources, in our Muslim sources, it is very, very clear his lineage and you know the, the name of Fir'aun 
and his lineage. And so the scholars mention that there were, if, if we go back to the books of history, the books of Tariq, like that of Ibn Kathir and At-Tabari and many others, and likewise we return back to the books of Tafsir, and we will find very, very clearly that the following, I will just summarize the main points in, 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 in the following. First of all, that there was a series of Fir'auns who were present at the same time of Ibrahim salam to Musa salam, right? So Ibrahim salam to Musa salam is a period of roughly around 200 years. In that time period, there was a series of rulers whose names are given in our history books who also existed at, at the same time, right? And they were the, those who ruled over Misr. And so from the first of them is mentioned Sinan bin Alwan. Sinan bin Alwan. And the genealogy of these Fir'auns, they go back to the son of um, uh, Sam, who is called Lawith, Lawith, and from him came, there's an offspring called Amliq, 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 and from him came many, many, many people who were known as the Amaliqah, Amaliqah, and you will find this word often in the Torah, in the Bible. The, Amal the Amalekites. And these are hated. They're always spoken of in a, in a hateful way, right? As the enemy. They're repeated many, many times in, in the Torah. The, so this is the Amalika. In our, in our sources, they are known as the Amalika. And so these, these tribes, they originated out of Yemen and they moved northwards and they conquered many places. So they conquered the Hejaz region the Hijaz region, around Mecca. And so one of these Amalika was known as Faran. Faran. And that's why the area around Mecca and the mountains around Mecca, they are no, it is known as Faran. Tracing back to that individual from the Amalika who you know, uh, conquered and, and controlled that, that area. That's why it is said, and that's why this is actually mentioned in the Torah, the, 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 the wilderness of Faran, referring to the area around Mecca. Likewise, they moved further north and they conquered parts of Sham and across even Iraq. Okay, So in the time of Ibrahim salam, to Musa salam, there was a stretch of land that was conquered by these people. And these people were warlike people they were they were into war and conquest and so they conquered the region from the top of syria if you imagine the top of syria here next to turkey the coastal region so the coastal region coming down towards lebanon coming down towards palestine moving across the sinai peninsula and across to the top of what today we know to be egypt right which is the top very fertile region of egypt where the river Nile it comes and it splits and then it goes all into the Mediterranean, right? This is the Nile, it comes up and it splits in so many different rivers and this very green, fertile area right at the top, this area, they were in rule at that time, right? They were in rule at that time. So these are Arab 
rulers, not Egyptian. They are not Qibti. They are not Qibti. Okay? As for the original rulers of Egypt, they were forced further south. They were forced further south. So they were south of what we today call Egypt. They were not the rulers whom Ibrahim or Yusuf or Musa salam interacted with. Right? So this is a huge difference between what is in our history books, the Islamic history books, and what is in or what is implied in the Torah and likewise in all of Western scholarship and all of what they call the you know Egyptology, the, the science and study of, of Egypt and the history of Egypt and whatever else. And because they've made this fundamental mistake in history, when they've tried to research these things and they've gone to these, uh, the, the, it's a mistake to call the rulers of Egypt pharaohs because they were never ever known as pharaohs. This is, this is a mistake. They were never known as pharaohs. This is a mistake that's been made where the name of Fir'aun has been extended to these Egyptian rulers. This is a mistake in history. They were never called uh, 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 pharaohs. In fact, one of the historians, Muslim historians, Al-Mas'udi, he mentions how he went to Egypt and Misr and he asked many of the specialists from the, the, from the Qibtis, right? They asked him, tell me about the origin and the meaning of this word Fir'aun. And they said, well, uh, we've got no idea because it's not from, it's not from our language. We don't know what its, its origin is. He said they couldn't tell me what it is. Because Aslan, it is not from the, 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 the Qibtis, from their language. Rather, as, as, we shall, uh, as, 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 as is made clear, Fir'aun is an actual name. So Fir'aun. You see Haman, Qarun. You see many other similar names. Uh, Shamsun, um, Jad'un. Right? They all follow the same pattern. These are well-known Arab names. Okay? So... So this is the first thing we should very, very clearly understand. That the, those who were in rule at the time when Ibrahim salam came to the first Fir'aun, Sinan bin Alwan, and there was a story between him, his wife Sarah, this was from the Amaliqa. Then after him, there were a series of five or six other, other rulers. The one in the time of Yusuf salam, his name is Ar-Rayyan bin Al-Walid. Ar-Rayyan bin Al-Walid, an Arabic name. Right? So this was the time uh, when Yusuf Islam went uh, to this location and you know, he was given a position and uh, the whole story of, in, in Surat Yusuf, it takes place in relation to this individual, Ar-Rayyan bin Al-Walid. And then from him, after him came a number of other rulers. After him came, there's a couple of other names, and then comes one called Qabus, Qabus bin Mus'ab, and then comes Al-Walid bin Mus'ab Al-Walid bin Mus'ab so this is the one that our Muslim sources identify as the Fir'aun now there's the discussion uh, as to what his actual name is and the evidence from the Quran very strongly suggests that Fir'aun is his actual name Fir'aun is his actual name because the, the, way the, the, the way this word is used it's used as a proper name Right? All the evidence in the Quran very, very clearly indicates that. Because there's, there's no definite article attached to it. Al, it's not pluralized ever. And it's mentioned along with other names, in between the names. 
Qarun, Fir'aun, Haman, or Haman, Haman, Fir'aun, Qarun. Right? So all the evidence suggests that it's an actual name of Fir'aun. So this name Fir'aun, because he was a tyrant, it was then extended to include all of the other previous six or seven rulers who are from the Amalika. So then they became known as the Fir'auns. Al-Fara'ina. So then this word was pluralized uh, that, we, that we normally see as a, and it was made as a title. Al-Fara'ina. Even though Fir'aun was that one individual. And then mistakenly that label was then given to all of the Egyptian kings in the whole of history. Before Ibrahim Islam and after Musa Islam. And this is a mistake in the history of Al-Qibd of Egypt. Right? They were never known as Fir'auns or as pharaohs. So because of that mistake, and there are also some ideological reasons as well. So you see the Jews, for example, they deliberately um, make it appear as if Musa salam, was present in Egypt till about 1200 BC. So they extend the stretch of Bani Israel in Egypt from what is really 180 years to 500 years, right? To make it appear as if they were there for a very, very long time. And they were there in the time of the Egyptian so-called pharaohs, right? And they have an ideological reason to make that fallacious claim, to make that false claim, right? Because they can say, we deserve a piece of that land, right? So that's a fallacious claim. It's a clear fallacious claim. And the reality is, that the time of Bani Israel in Misr was between around 1720 to 1570, right? Between 1750, let's say even, between the middle of the 18th century BC to about the end of the 16th century BC. It's about 180 years in total they spent in, uh, in, in, uh, in, um, in Misr. And that's clear even from the lineage. If you take it from Ya'qub salam, how many people between Ya'qub salam? We said Musa bin Imran bin Qahith bin Azir bin Lawi bin Ya'qub. That's basically four generations. Four generations. And four generations is 150 you know, uh, years at the most. right? So clearly, it, it can't be a period of 500 years. So now we've explained Musa, uh, Musa his lineage, and we've explained Fir'aun and who he is. This, these rulers were known as the Amalika, as I mentioned. If you go into Western scholarship, you will find that these people are identified by the, by, by the label Hyksos. Hyksos. H-Y-K-S-O-S. H-Y-K-S-O-S. This name was given to them by Greek historians. But the meaning of the word hexos is the same as the meaning of amalika, but you would never know if you, if you didn't know this history. And you would never know from the word hexos that these were actual Arabs, right? And so this is not really discussed openly. You won't find it in popular textbooks or in the popular stories of Musa and Fir'aun for whatever reason. But this is what is in our books. And that's, why, that's, that's what explains the fact that these people can't find any mention of the story of Musa alayhi salam 
amongst the Qibtis, the Qibti rulers, because it was never, the issue was never with the Qibti rulers. So that's why in the archaeology and everything and in the history, the Egyptians were very good at history. They recorded all of their rulers, the names from three, four thousand, you know, thousand years back, um, even further back, all the names, all the dynasties, and they can't find anything. Right? And that's because they've got their history wrong. And what we find in our sources is correct. Is correct. And there is an admission now uh, amongst, you'll find that in the past 20, 30 years, that they are admitting, because the, the archaeology has been gone for like 70, 80 years, 100 years now, and not finding anything. But now in the past two, three decades, there's an admission that there was a, a dynasty called the Hyksos dynasty. They were Amalekites, which means Arabs. And that their time coincides with the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam and Musa alayhi salam. Right? And this is the haqq that we have. We had, we had for, you know, from our sources. So Fir'aun, the Quran says, We will rehearse to you the story of Musa, Moses, and Fir'aun, the Pharaoh, in truth, to a people who believe. To a people who believe. Then it mentions the essence of the situation of Fir'aun. Inna Fir'aun ala fil ard wa ja'ala ahlaha shia'a yastadifu ta'ifatan minhum yudabbihu abna'ahum wa yastahyi nisa'ahum innahu kana min al-mufsideen. Indeed, Fir'aun, he became, uh, basically he sought ascendancy over the, over the earth. Meaning he became arrogant. He acquired power. And he became arrogant and haughty. And he turned the people into factions. So the people whom he ruled under, there were different types of people. There were his family, his, you know, Al-Fir'aun, his relatives, the ruling family, and you know, whoever else was with him. And then there was the Qibtis, those Egyptians whom he conquered and who were under his rule. There were other factions. There was Bani Israel. There were many factions whom he made into different groups. And when we go back to the history books and the tafsir books, we find that for each of these different groups, there would be a representative. They would all own, have their own uh, um, uh, representative or, or leader, and they would then come in turn and be in the uh, be like ministers, so, so as to speak, for Fir'aun. So this is how he ruled his kingdom and he separated them all out and he turned them into factions and sects. However, as Allah says, there is one particular ta'ifa whom he would oppress and weaken. And as he says, he would kill their sons and he would leave alive their women. And the reason for this we shall come and explain inshallah ta'ala. And he used to be from the mufsideen, from those who would do, uh, uh, you know, commit fasad, which is corruption upon the earth. So this, in essence, describes the situation of uh, Fir'aun. This Fir'aun, he uh, preferred the world, as Ibn Kathir says. He turned away from obedience to Allah, a belief in Allah. He turned the people under him into parties and sects, and one particular group, as we said, this is Bani Israel. Bani Israel. So this faction that the ayah mentions, this Ta'ifa, this is Bani Israel. And Bani Israel, as we mentioned, they are the offspring of Ya'qub, the son of Ishaq, the son of Ibrahim, alayhi salam, 
And they, as Allah tells us in the Quran, they were the best of the people of the earth in that time. Why is this? It is because they were people of Tawheed. This is why they were the best of the people of earth. They were the offspring of Ibrahim salam, who was a caller to Tawheed. And we find that his son Ismail and the offspring of Ismail, he made dua that from his offspring would be those who would populate Mecca and remain in Mecca and you know, be, be callers uh, to Tawheed after him. And so the offspring of Ismail, they had or kept custody of Mecca, right? And as for Ishaq, then they migrated northwards. And they were also people of Tawheed, obviously, uh, after their father Ibrahim al-Islam. And Ya'qub, Ishaq, and then Ya'qub, then the, the Asbat, right? All of them were people of Tawheed. And they were the best of the people at that time. And when they moved to Misr, there were 70 of them in total, right? So the 12 Asbat, the 12 sons of Ya'qub, and all of their, their families and children, when they moved, there were 70 of them in total. So this faction, when it started in the time of Yusuf Islam, there were 70, and then they increased in number by the time we come to the Fir'aun himself, you know, three or four generations later. So these were the people whom he was oppressing. And the reason we be, was because they were worshippers of Allah Azawajal. They worshipped Allah upon Tawheed and they were obedient to Allah Azawajal. Whereas the other people and Fir'aun himself and the people who worshipped Fir'aun or he wanted him to worship him, they were polytheists. And they were, they were mushrikun, they had idols and so on and so forth. So he singled out Bani Israel for oppression and to enslave them. And as the ayah says, يُذَبِّحُ He would kill their children, kill their, you know, their, 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 their children, and he would leave alone, leave alive their women. Now, the reason for this oppression is because the Bani Israel, they used to study and what they we used to narrate from Ibrahim salam. Because Ibrahim salam, when he came across, he met one of these Fir'auns. And there's a story, we won't go into it, but the story with, with Sarah and this, this, you know, this, this Fir'aun, this leader. But, so something happened between them. And one of the things that Ibrahim salam, said is that perhaps there will be from the offspring or our offspring, one who will put an end to your, to your dominion. So there was some word that there's going to be some person who's going to come and he's going to be the cause of the end of the rulership of these Amalika, the, these, these Fir'auns who were ruling this region. So Bani Israel used to speak about this and they used to study this affair and they used to relate this from Ibrahim salam that there will be a child that will be born and he will be the cause of the destruction of the king of Misr. The king of Misr. And so this would be taken back to Fir'aun. Fir'aun would then hear about this. And on top of this, Fir'aun also, as is related in some of the, 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 the reports, that he would have a dream. And this, in this dream, he would see that from uh, Al-Quds, 
that there was a fire that raged and it came all the way to Misr and it destroyed everything. <clears throat> so he would see this dream as well and he would hear that the Bani Israel was speaking about some there is going to be someone who's going to be born and he's going to be the destruction of the rulership of Misr. So because of this, uh, because of this, he would specify Bani Israel for some harsh treatment and he would punish them and he would, as we said, he would kill their sons, which we'll come and speak about later, inshallah ta'ala, and he would leave alone their women. So the point being, Fir'aun, this arrogant man who had, you know, uh, power over this entire region, he took every measure he could to make sure that this individual would not be born. And for that reason, he would have individuals from his people who would go out into the Bani Israel, to the homes of the Bani Israel. They will find women who were pregnant and they would wait until the time came for them to deliver. And if it was a male, if it was a male child, they would kill that child. They would kill that child. So this is the situation of Fir'aun. Fir'aun is a tyrant, an arrogant man. <coughs> He would subdue many different factions of people, split them out into groups. And one particular faction who were the best of the people, who were the people from the offspring of uh, Ishaq, the people of Tawheed, he would specify them for a specific, you know, oppressive treatment. And this is because he was fearful that from them would come an individual who would be the cause of his destruction. So once you understand this, once you understand all of this, situation look at the qadr of allah azawajal ibn kathir rahimahullah ta'ala he says hadha wal qadr yaqul hadha wal qadr yaqul meaning look at all of this look at all this background and yet the qadr of allah speaks and says ya ayyuhal malik al jabbar al maghrur bi kathrati junudih Oh, you tyrant. Oh, you tyrant. So in, in other words, whatever Allah had decreed to happen to Fir'aun, if we were to listen to that Qadr speaking, this is what that Qadr would be saying. It would be saying, Oh, you tyrannical king, you tyrant, one who is deceived by the fact that he has so many soldiers and power and so much, you know, his power extends so much and as if, his rule is something that you know he can never be conquered, not prevented, not opposed. Do you know that this child that is going to be born, which you are trying to protect yourself from, and uh, for whose sake you have killed so many souls, meaning the, the, the males of Bani Israel, that this child who is going to be your destruction, he is not going to be born, except in your house and he's not going to be uh, he's not, not going to be raised except in your house and he's not going to be fed except by your food and your drink and in your house and you are the one who is going to take him as an adopted child and you are going to nourish him and uh, and you will not be informed or you will never know the, the secret of the meaning of, of all of this and then he will be the cause of your destruction so look at this 
how Allah was such a tyrant in the way that he planned his destruction, it was planned under his own nose in his own house without him even knowing. And so this is how Allah this is how we should be fearful of the makar of the, the, the plan of Allah You cannot escape the plan of Allah And take this as a lesson from the story of Fir'aun, how this arrogant man who thought he was so powerful and strong and could never be defeated and how he was tyrannical upon these people, he never knew for one moment that this man who was going to be raised in his house until he reached the age of 40, a full-grown man, reaching his peak, that this individual is going to be the cause of his actual destruction. Not his destruction, but the destruction of all of his family, all of his soldiers, and eventually the entire empire that we mentioned running from, you know, from the top of Syria all the way down, Lebanon, Palestine, Sinai, up until the top of Egypt. The whole of that was actually destroyed after Fir'aun was destroyed. So look at, look at, uh, so this is what Al-Qadr, is saying about the reality of what happened to Fir'aun. So what Fir'aun would do, initially he would kill the children of Bani Israel who were male because he didn't want this child to be born. And then what happened is that as he was killing the, 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 the male children, the only people that were left were elderly people. And so then the subjects of Fir'aun, the people of Fir'aun and the other people who were there, because the, the Bani Israel used to work or they made them work as servants or slaves for the other, other people. And they realized that if these people uh, die out, then who is going to do? We're going to have to do the job. We're going to have to do the same job as what the Bani Israel used to do. So the people complained to Fir'aun. So what Fir'aun decided to do was that on one year he would leave all of the children, the male children. And the next year he would kill all of the male children. And the year after he would leave all the male children. And the year after he would kill. So basically every other year he would kill all the male children. So what happened is that the brother of Musa Islam, Harun, Qadr Allah, he was born in the year in which the children were left. They were not killed. So he was born that year. And as for Musa Islam, he was born in the year that Fir'aun sent out his people to kill all of the male born Children of the Bani Israel. And so this is where we take up the story uh, as mentioned in, in the Quran, uh, in uh, Surah Al-Qasas, in which Allah mentions how he inspired the mother of Musa salam to take his, to, to, to uh, feed the child and then to put him into a box and to leave him in the river. So we see, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ and we inspired to the mother of uh, uh, Musa to, to suckle him. And when you fear, and if you fear for him, then throw him into the river. And do not fear and do not grieve. Indeed, we shall return him back to you and we shall make him into a messenger from the messengers. So this is something that Allah he informed the mother of Musa Islam. Do not fear, do not grieve by throwing your child into this river. We will return him back to you and we will turn him into one of the messengers. So this wahi, this, this, this revelation, it, it is ilham. It is something that Allah inspired 
Not in the same way that Allah inspires the prophets and messengers, but in the sense he inspires an individual to do a certain action. He puts in their mind and inspires them to take a certain course of action. So he inspired the mother of Musa alayhi salam to do that. And uh, so she uh, took him and she put this baby, newborn baby, and b before that she kept it hidden that she was pregnant. Right? And it is also said in some of the reports that when Musa al-Islam was born, that he didn't cry, and you know, you know, stories which are, which, are, which are of that nature, because this would have been clear that there is a child born in you know this area or this household. So there are stories which are like that, which which are related, which are like that as well. So uh, she put him in a box and put him in the river, and as the story mentions, that it so happened that there was the uh, uh, a servant of the wife of Fir'aun that she happened to find this particular box and so as we read in the Quran that the, the, the family of Fir'aun that they came across and they found it so they found it and so she brought it to the wife of Fir'aun whose name is Asiya Asiya bint Muzahim Asiya bint Muzahim. And as you can see, this is clearly an Arabic name. It is an Arabic name. Clearly, it's an Arabic name. So when she uh, found and opened this box, she saw a child, a beautiful child from whose face there was, there was light. As Ibn Kathir says, Al Anwar an Nabawi, the lights of prophethood. And she uh, loved him. She immediately fell in love with this child. And so when Fir'aun came, she, he said, what is this? I had commanded that all the children be slaughtered. And uh, so she said to him that this is the beauty of my eye. As mentioned in the Quran, that this will be the beauty of my eye and yours. And Fir'aun said, as for you, then yes. But as for, you, then, as for me, then no. I have no need for him. And so then she said, perhaps he might benefit us, Asa and Yanfa'ana, perhaps that he might benefit us, oh, that we might take him as a, as a son, that we might adopt him as a son. And this is now another proof that this Fir'aun and his wife were from the Arabs. Because this practice of At-Tabanni at is where you take a child and you adopt it and you make him as your own. And he have, has all the rights as if it is your own child. This practice was amongst, known amongst the Arabs. It's never known amongst the, the Qibtis, the Egyptians. And this is one of the points which I mentioned, that this is another proof. That the, you know, the, the rulers here were the Amalika Arabs. It wasn't the, the, the Qibtis because of this practice of the Tabanni. So... Uh, so basically she convinced him because they didn't have a male child she convinced Fir'aun to uh, take him and adopt him and again as we see this is all from the plan of Allah Azawajal, and Fir'aun does not know that this child is going to be the cause of his own destruction so after this we then see the promise of Allah Azawajal fulfilled to the mother of Musa salam, because what then happened is um, uh, as Allah mentions that 
in Surah Al-Qasas continuing, That the heart of the mother of Musa became empty, meaning she became, she longed for Musa salam, And because of this longing, she almost let it out that she was the mother of Musa salam. As Allah says, in kadat la bihi, which means that she almost, you know, revealed her connection to to Musa. Had it not been that we made her heart to be strong and firm, so that she would be from amongst the mu'minin, from the from the, the the believers. So you can imagine the situation that this child of hers has been taken by Fir'aun and the grief and the emptiness that the mother has longing for the child such that she almost wanted it to make it known that, that this was her child. So then what happened is that she told her sister, I mean she told Musa's sister, Musa Islam had a sister, so she told her daughter who is Musa's sister to monitor what is happening with Musa salam in the household of Fir'aun and to see where he's being taken and what is happening. And so it so happened <coughs> that when it came to suckle Musa salam, the wife of Fir'aun was unable to find a woman to suckle Musa salam. He would not suckle with any, any woman and then they took him out to the various markets to find uh, a suckling uh, female, you know, someone to suckle him and, you know, like a wet nurse. And the sister of Musa Islam was following all of this and tracking what was going on until they took him and she saw, saw, she, she, she saw them taking him and so she intervened and said shall I not direct you to a household who will take him in custody for you and they will be sincere towards him so then she took them with Musa Islam to the mother of Musa Islam. And lo and behold, Musa Islam, he began to suckle and he took the feed. And so then it was agreed by the wife of Fir'aun. Uh, she said that you should come to the court of Fir'aun and feed him in that place. But the mother of Musa Islam said, no, I can't do this. I cannot do this because I have a husband. I have children. And so I can only take him to my house. So then it was agreed by the wife of Fir'aun, that you will raise him, that you will suckle him and feed him in your house. And as a result of that, the house of Fir'aun paid for everything. Paid for the food, paid for the drink, paid for the clothing. And they showered many, many things upon that household so that Musa al-Islam, who is the adopted son of Asiya and Fir'aun, that he would be looked, that he would be looked after and raised. So look at how Allah now is making Fir'aun, like we said, what Al-Qadr was saying, that he will be nurtured under your wing. He will be fed with your food and with your drink and with your clothing. So all of this, this goodness came to the household of Musa Islam, to his mother, all from the spending of Fir'aun himself. So he's spending for his own destruction without him even, without him even knowing. So... Um, so this is, uh, we, we, we see that he's returned back now to Musa salam, that to, to Musa salam is returned back to his uh, mother. And we then see that he's nurtured and raised. And as we see in another part in the Quran, in Surah Taha, Surah Taha Allah recounts this favor to Musa salam. 
This is later on in the in the uh, message in the in the life of Musa Islam that Allah recounts to him that indeed we did bestow upon you a favor another time when we inspired to your mother what we inspired for her to throw the box into the river so she threw him into the by, by the coast of the river such that an enemy of mine and an enemy of yours would take him and uh, I upon love from myself I nurtured you under my eye that you may be raised under my eye what does this mean it means exactly what happened that Fir'aun took him in and his wife raised him and he spent on him this is all under the nurturing and the watchful eye of Allah Azza wa Jal so now Musa alayhi salam he is raised and he grows up and now we come to the next part of the story when he reaches his full age of maturity and this is the age of 40 so when Musa al-Islam when he reached his uh, should you know this is meaning his full peak of maturity wastawa right the scholar the, the, the scholars say that this is the age of 40 when a man reaches his peak you know in in development and and so on and so forth so we gave him hukum we gave him uh, knowledge and judgment thus do we reward those who do good so then in this part it mentions the story of how Musa al-Islam came across two men one was an Israeli and one was from another faction and he saw them fighting and so the Israeli asked him for aid and support and so Musa al-Islam he came and basically he struck that man he hit that man he struck that man and that man died that man died and he then uh, was remorseful for this for this for this uh, you know for this action he said hadha min amal shaytan innahu aduwun mudillun mubin indeed this was from the action of shaytan indeed he's one who is an enemy and one who misguides a clear misguider qala rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli Oh my Lord, I have wronged myself, so forgive me. So this is the first dua that we see in the story of Musa Salam. One of the aspects of this story is to take note of all of the duas that Musa Salam made throughout the recounting of his story. There are many, many duas. Just pay attention to those duas. Here he's making istighfar for an action which he did, which he accidentally killed a man. He didn't intend to kill the man. He accidentally killed the man. And he explained that this was from the misguidance, he was, you know, from the action of Shaytan, who is a misguider. So he sought forgiveness for lahu. Allah forgave him. Innahu huwal rahim. And um, so uh, this was the first day. Then on the second day, a similar situation happened. And so again, there was a situation with an Israeli, the same Israeli fighting with another man and so again he sought his help so this time Musa Islam was cautious because he remembered the day before he'd accidentally killed a man which would bring him trouble so he basically was hesitant and you know he he he, he declined and instead of going to fight he turned towards that other man who the Israeli was fighting and when he turned to him 
there was a statement made and the statement that was made uh, the statement uh, that was made was that oh musa are you going to kill me like you killed that man yesterday so when this man said this and the scholars differ whether it was the israeli who said this some say it was the israeli who said this and others say that it was the 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 qibti or the other one who said it out of suspicion because he'd heard someone got killed the day before so he said it out of suspicion that maybe this might be the man this could be the man because the israeli sought his help in either of the two situations what happened is that this individual then went to fir'aun and told him that musa is the one who killed that person yesterday so now fir'aun and his people they realize that it is musa and you have to understand that there are two reasons here there are two reasons first of all musa salam is raised in the household of fir'aun right and he's defended an israeli an israeli uh, he is from those whom fir'aun detests and hates how has he killed a man to defend an israeli yet he's raised in my household right so this is basically this is now like suspicion could this be the man who is who, who who is the man who is supposed to come and put an end to my you know to my empire right so these suspicions are raised now and so he brings his men in order to find musa and to kill musa and that's why we see a man comes Medina yasa a man came from the outskirts of the city running to come and tell to come and tell Musa ya Musa O Musa indeed the chiefs and the leaders are uh, coming for you they are planning for you they're coming for you in order to kill you so leave indeed I am a sincere advisor to you so now um, they Musa al-Islam has no option uh, so then he left this place watchful and fled this place and you know he left Misr and then he went in the western direction and he also made the dua Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi min al oh my lord save me from from a wrongdoing people this now is his second dua the first dua was to make forgiveness for the thing that he fell into the second dua now is when he's escaping he's seeking you know he's seeking uh, rescue from allah um, oh my lord save me from a wrongdoing people so now this moves us to the next stage in the story of musa al-islam he escapes and now he goes to the land of madian so where is madian madian is north of medina by the coast of the red sea right so the top part coast of what is today saudi arabia just beneath jordan that whole area that stretch is called madian madian so musa islam he went to madian and uh, he faced the direction towards madian this now is another dua he turns toward, towards Madian 
And he said, perhaps my Lord might guide me to the right way. So now he's making dua for guidance. So now the story is that he came to Madian and he came upon this well. And at this well he found some women, two women. They were trying to keep their flock of sheep not to mix with the flock of other people who were present. And he found some other people who were basically watering their flock. And he found these women. And he said to, him, he said to them, وَمَا what is, what is your situation? What, what do you have to say? And they said, قَالَتَا لَا نَسْكِي That we are not able to uh, give our flock any water until the ri'a, until these other people, until they, you know, until they move. And our father is, a, is an old sheikh. Meaning he's not able to come and to water the, water the, water the sheep, or water the flock. So, فَسَقَى لَهُمَا ثُمَّ تَوَلَّى إِلَى الظِّلْ فَقَالَ رَبِّ إِنِّي لِمَا أَنزَلْتَ إِلَيَّ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَقِيرٍ So the ayah summarizes what happened. It says that he gave, he, made, he took their sheep and he gave them to drink. And then he turned and sat in some shade and he made another dua, the third dua. رَبِّ إِنِّي لِمَا أَنزَلْتَ إِلَيَّ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَقِيرٍ Indeed, O oh my Lord, I am in need of whatever good you can bestow upon me. So let's expand upon this and see what happened. So what happened, as we see in the reports, is he came across these two women and uh, they were trying to give water to their flock. But these other shepherds, they were basically not allowing them to. And what they would do is there was a well and they would use the well and they would place a huge rock that it would take 10 men to carry, to lift. And they would put that rock in place so that nobody else could come and feed their, their, their flock. So what the women would do is to come and whatever little space there was, they would try to get whatever was leftovers from you know, the, 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 the previous people. So when he saw that, this, that, that they were having this problem, and he asked them, what is your issue? And they explained to him, when those shepherds had gone, he came and he lifted the rock by himself. And so this shows, and we'll see evidence from the Quran as well, that Musa as we've seen in the reports, he was very, very strong. And he had a large, strong, sturdy body. So he managed to lift this rock. So the Mufassirun is this, they explain. As we see, فَإِنَّ أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عُمَرَ he said, وَكَانَ لَا يَرَفَعُهُ إِلَّا عَشْرَةً Umar speaking about this rock that Musa lifted, that no one could lift it except ten people. So he lifted it, then gave them to drink from, from the well, and then he put the rock back. After he did that, he then went and he sat in the shade, and he made this dua. And he made this dua in, uh, when, when he said, Oh my Lord, indeed I am in need of whatever good you can send for me. And this is because on his journey, he'd only been eating green leaves. He hadn't eaten properly from his journey from, from Misr to Madian. And his shoes were broken and you know whatever. And so he made this dua. So as he's making this dua, we find that these women they heard him making this dua. And what had happened is they, they, they'd gone back to their father and the father was suspicious thinking, how come they've come back so quickly? 
Because normally they take a very long time to water the, the, the flock. So this time they've come back very quickly. So these women, they told their father what had actually happened. That there was this man and this is what he did and whatever else. So the women then returned. And they heard him making this dua. So as the, ayah, as the story continues in Surah Al-Qasas, فَجَاءَتْهُ إِحْدَاهُمَا تَمْشِي عَلَى اسْتِحْيَاءٍ قَالَتْ إِنَّ أَبِي يَدْعُوكَ لِيَجْزِيَكَ أَجْرَ مَا سَقِيتَ لَنَا So she came, one of them came to him, walking out of shyness, and she said, indeed my father calls you in order to reward you, give you a reward for that which you did for us, of feeding our, uh, of giving our flock to drink. So then Musa al-Islam came to the father and he related to him the story of what had happened to him. And he said, لا تخف Do not fear نجوت من القوم الظالمين You were saved from an oppressive people. So then one of the women said, O father, O my father, hire, you know, uh, hire him. Uh, take, um, uh, she said, so she said, O father, hire him, meaning use him uh, for, for service. For indeed, the best of the one whom you hire is Al-Qawiyyul Ameen. Pay attention to these two words. Al-Qawi and Al-Ameen. And the explanation of this will come very shortly. So then the father said, Indeed, قَالَ إِنِّي He said, Indeed, I desire to marry you to one of my two daughters. In return for you uh, serving me for eight years. And if you complete them, then ten. If you do ten, that this is, this is voluntarily from your behalf. And I don't want to create any difficulty upon you so basically this man offered his daughter in marriage and said that in return essentially that you will have food and drink and you will uh, I will rent you know your service for eight years and if you want to add two from yourself and make it ten that is in, in, up to you so what happened is uh, that Musa salam he agreed and uh, as, as, as continues and so Ibn Kathir basically explains he says that when we go back to these two words, in khayra man al amin, Umar and Ibn Abbas and Shuraih and others and Abu Malik and Qatada, all of these scholars explain, look at the two explanations why they described him as al-qawi al-amin. The first is that when the woman went back and told her father, she, she said, that he lifted a rock that cannot be lifted except by ten people. Hence, Al-Qawi. Al-Qawi. And as for Al-Ameen, Al-Qawi Al-Ameen, then she said to the, to the father, in explaining why she said Al-Qawi Al-Ameen, she said that when we made our way back, so when they went to Musa Islam to tell them that the father wants to give him a reward then Musa Salam he came back with them to the father whatever distance it was so she said that we were walking in front and he was behind so what he said to us is you walk behind me and I will lead the way 
And if I turn in the wrong direction, you just throw a stone in the direction that I should be taking. Right? So meaning that he wanted them to be behind them, not in front of, uh, not in front of him. And for them to show the direction by throwing stones. Right? So this is basically shows that he's a trustworthy, upright individual. So this is why one of these daughters, uh, they said, as we see in this ayah, that indeed the best person that you can hire, that you can, that you can hire, is Al-Qawiyyul Amin. And this is what Musa al-Islam, he was. He was powerful, strong, and he was also Amin. He was also trustworthy and upright. So, um, so once this is clear, we see that Musa al-Islam, he fulfilled these eight years and he completed these eight years of his uh, period, of this period of time that he agreed. And so this brings us now to the time in which Musa salam, he has a longing to go back to Misr for his family, to you know, return to his family. And this is where we come to the story of the burning bush on the mountain, you know, the tree on the mountain. Inshallah ta'ala, we will leave that for the next lesson. Uh, we'll stop at this point. So up, and, up until this point, we've covered the birth of Musa al-Islam up until he reaches the peak of his age at the age of uh, at the age of 40, and he returns back to Madian. And in Madian, he spends 10 years. So basically, this is 50, the 50 years of the life of Musa al-Islam. 40 when he was in Misr, when he left to Madian, and 10 years that he spent in Madian. And in the 50th year is when he saw a light, you know, on a mountain, a fire on a mountain, and he approached it. Uh, and then we'll continue the story from there, inshallah ta'ala, in the next lesson and take, you know, whatever benefits there are in this uh, uh, from Ibn Kathir, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala. As for the dua for seeking forgiveness, قَالَ رَبِّ إِنِّي ظَلَمْتُ نَفْسِي فَغْفِرْ لِي So this is in Surah, uh, surah Al-Qasas, verse number, I can't really, I think it is, I'll have to check one second. the beginning of Surah Al-Qasas. Verse number 16. Verse number 16. So that's the first dua, which is the dua of seeking forgiveness. And as for the dua of Protection from the oppressors. قَالَ رَبِّ نَجِّنِي مِنَ الْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ That is verse number 21. Verse number 21. And as for hoping for guidance. قَالَ عَسَى رَبِّ أَنْ يَهْدِيَنِي سَوَاءَ السَّبِيلِ That is the very next verse. Verse number 22. Verse number 22. And as for the dua of seeking, being in need of Allah for some goodness coming his way then this is verse number uh, verse number 24 
رب إني لما أنزلت إلي من خير فقير سورة القصص يا أول سورة القصص يا سورة نمبر 28 and there are more there are more duas so we'll mention them as well inshallah ta'ala over the course of the story but as you can see there are many different elements to this story just looking at the duas that Musa al-Islam made at every stage that in itself would be a whole topic in itself an explanation of those duas and how we take benefit from them and as we said there are different people involved in all of this uh, and so inshallah this will become clear as we go through uh, the story itself so we'll conclude there inshallah, inshallah ta'ala for today and we'll continue uh, in the next lesson walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een yeah the exact identity uh, some scholars say qabus bin mus'ab qabus bin mus'ab and some say al-walid bin mus'ab uh, so the explanation is that one was initially the fir'aun and he passed away then walid took took over um and also it is said that Fir'aun is his actual name. So the scholars differ about this. Some say Fir'aun is, uh, is like a laqab, like similar to have you have uh, Kisra, like you have the Caesar of Rome, or you have Kisra of, of the Faris of, the, Faris of the, the Persians. You have Najashi with the Abyssinians. You have Tubba with the, 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 in the Yemen, right? So... Um, so some scholars are of that view that it's actually a, a title. Uh, but from looking into the Quran and the way the word is used, like in the time of Yusuf Islam, he's referred to Al-Malik, Al-Aziz, with Al, with Mu'arraf bi Al, right? Well, Fir'aun is never used, he's used uh, as, as, a, as a name. It's غير منصرف, it's, it's not declinable, right? like Haman, like Qarun, like, you know. Uh, so that seems to be the most correct view that his actual name is Fir'aun. Is, is Fir'aun. Um, so um, Allah knows best, you know. But these are the names that are generally given. Uh, Al-Walid bin Mus'ab, um, Fir'aun. So the, 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 the key thing is that uh, the name, you know, Fir'aun is what is in the Quran, and as long as we are clear that these are Arab Amalika rulers, and they are not Qibtis, Egyptian Qibtis, you know, if we do not make that mistake, then we don't have all those issues like that. Like you have the Yahud and the Nasara having because you have many Yahud now. Uh, because what happened is when they discovered that they're able to get into archaeology and get into Egypt and start digging and whatever else. They thought that this is going to support their version of the story, right? They thought they thought that when we dig up all the things about Ramses the Second and whatever else, which is around 1200, 1250, around that time, that all is going to confirm everything, but didn't confirm anything, right? So now you have these Israel, you have these Jews who are writing books. You have one called uh, Finkelst, uh, what's his name? I think Finkelstein. You have another other one, Zev, uh, I've forgotten his name now. But they've they actually written books. And what they're saying is, well, it seems like it's all myth and fiction, really. Maybe, you know, there was some little story somewhere, but this has been exaggerated in the, in, in, in the Bible, right? So they have this problem because 
they've assumed that the rule that, 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 that Fir'aun was Qibti, was Egyptian. Oh, that's not true. All our sources say that they are Amalika Arabs. And so if we now go back and we look into the history, you will actually find that there was a small period of time of about 180 years in the whole of Egyptian history where some foreign invaders came and they took over that part of Egypt and the Qibtis went south and when Fir'aun was drowned and destroyed, basically we know in the Quran that all of his junood, all of his soldiers, all of his, the, the Al Fir'aun, his family, his whatever, all the junood, all destroyed. And then after him, there was a ruler called Abu Fis. Abu Fis, his name is, yeah? And you will find in the Egyptian records of history, because they're very good historians, there are letters which are going backwards and forth between the, the Qibti ruler and this Abu Fis and there's wars taking place between them, right? These letters are actually present and exist, right? And, and we have them, and there's discussions taking place between them, and he's threatening them. He's like goading them on. We're not scared of you. Do you want a war? We'll, we'll have a war, whatever, right? So that arrogance led him, the Egyptians, to come and to destroy. So, so when Fir'aun was destroyed, it was like a chain reaction for the whole empire to be completely destroyed and wiped out. Right? So then the Qibtis came back, they basically uh, took back control of that region which today is Cairo and Ismailia, that, that area there, they took control of that. And then uh, that in turn led to them fall, the empire falling in all the other regions as well. Right? So, so now there are some Western uh, historians and writers who are acknowledging, yes, there was a, this period of time where there were these Hyksos people who are basically Arabs, the Amalika, who invaded Egypt and were in control in that particular time. Now, if we stick to that story, this now has so many implications on so many other things, right? First of all, it shows that the claim of the Yahud that Bani Israel were there from like, you know, 500 years, nonsense, absolute nonsense, not true, right? Also, to imply that the Qibti, that the Egyptian rulers were the ones who were the tyrants and this and whatever it's not true either because they weren't right they didn't oppress you right and likewise also the claims of the of the christians who were trying to prove the bible and whatever else but all that's false as well because you you got the wrong you got the wrong set of rulers right so so that that thing is very important to distinguish that we're not speaking about there are no pharaohs of egypt Right, the, the, the Amalik of Fir'aun, that's who they were, and the Egyptians had nothing to do, the, the Qibti rulers had nothing to do with that. That's why there's nothing in their history about, about this, because it didn't happen under their rule. Right, they were down south. And also, as we, as we see in the Quran, Allah mentions that he completely destroyed uh, what Fir'aun used to do and what they used to build. So everything, what, what was done, it was destroyed. You won't find anything. Yeah. No, with with uh, with um, let the other one finish. As I mentioned to you, if you look at the genealogy of um, 
um, of Ibrahim alayhi salam. As I said, Ibrahim alayhi salam, he is uh, descended from a person by the name of Aram, and Aram is one of the sons of uh, Sam, who is the son of Nuh alayhi salam. Fucking here we are, find it, yeah. So you have Sam, who is the son of Nuh alayhi salam. And from Sam come the Arabs, generally everyone who is in the Arabian Peninsula, up into Iraq, Sham, Syria, all that general region, the Arabs you find come from, from him. So Sam had a son, so you have Nuh, his son called Sam, and then you have a son called Aram. Aram. And Aram, he had numerous sons from them, was the father of Ad and the father of Thamud. Right? So the Ad and the Thamud are well before Ibrahim salam. Well before Ibrahim salam. Right? So these are Arab nations that came and they were destroyed. Well before Ibrahim salam. Ibrahim salam, Ibrahim salam is around the year 2000, 1900 BC. Right? So, so these people used to be known as the Ara Arameans. The Ad and the Thamud. They were known as the Aram Arameans. So when they passed away, the people who were from that offspring were known as, as general as the Arameans. And from them came Ibrahim salam. Right? Ibrahim salam came from them. So um, so basically, really, the genealogy of Ibrahim salam he's an Arab in the sense that he's from the peninsula originating from the peninsula but the language he spoke was Aramean right Aramean is a dialect of Arabic it's similar that's why all these civilizations that you see that they say they were in Iraq they actually originated in the Arabian Peninsula right the Assyrian Empire the Akkadian Empire the, there's all these you know different empires that, that, that uh, existed. They're all speaking dialects of Arabic, right? So Ibrahim al-Islam, he was from that general area, right? So it comes, the lineage is from, from what is generally the inhabitants of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, and then he gave birth to Ishaq and Ismail. So their language was Aramean, right? He settled in Mecca. And from Mecca, Ismail salam, he married into a tribe called the Jurhum. The Jurhum. And the Jurhum were from Yemen. And their language was pure Arabic. Pure Arabic. That had, because the pure Arabic had been passed on somehow. Uh, and so they speak pure Arabic. So he married into that family and he acquired the pure Arabic tongue. Right? And then that was passed on through into the you know into into that lineage. As for Ishaq and his offspring, they remained speaking Aramaic. And the Aramaic, you know, they moved and so so that's why the language of the Arab in general was was uh, uh, you know Ara Syriac Aramaic and Arabic all you know similar. And that's why when you see in the Quran the language between Musa al Islam and Fir'aun, they all speak in the same language. 
Do you understand? They weren't speaking to Qibtis, Egyptians, because they have their own lineage. Qibtis come from Ham. Ham is the son of Nuh, Ham. And from Ham come what we find in Africa, the Kush, the Kush and the other, you know, uh, whatever, the, the Qibtis. All of that is from the lineage of Ham. They have a different language, right? And so, so that this is like another proof again that our version of history is the correct history. What our Islamic sources say about the, the Fir'aun and whatever else is, is the correct, the correct history. You tell from the names, it's very, very clear. Yeah. The Quran Batil is false. It's a lie, it's a kadib. Because there are about 20, 30 mummies which are preserved. So, how can that be true then if, if all these other mummies are preserved as well then? It's not true. This was a, a thing, something spread by an individual called Maurice Bukhaili. Back in the 80s, he wrote a book called The Quran, Bible and Science, which is full of you know, lies and untruths and you know, falsehoods. The proper explanation of the body of Fir'aun, according to the Mufassirin, and, and also this brings into the issue of where exactly was he, was he drowned. Even the Yahud are not, are not uh, sure. Some say the Red Sea on the side of Arabia. Some say the Red Sea on the side of Egypt. Because you know there's two parts isn't there? There's the Egyptian side and then there's the Arabian side, right? Some say no, it was further down in the bridge between Ethiopia and Yemen. Bab al-Mandal they call it, right? It's a stretch of 20 miles, right? Some say, so they, they, even then they're not agreed upon where it actually happened. But what our sources say, what the Quran says, and what, uh, uh, what we see is that um, the Bani Israel could physically see with the eyes, with the vision of the eyes, Fir'aun and his uh, troops being destroyed. And they physically saw with the, with the eyes, they recognized his body because what happened is they first of all disbelieved that Fir'aun was dead. So Allah ordered that that river to spit out his body and to put it on the coast. So they could see themselves that he was there with his shield, that this is Fir'aun who is dead, that he's died, he's dead, right? So that's what, that's what the ayah means, that this day have we preserved your body so that you might be assigned meaning assigned to Bani Israel that indeed you are dead right and then after that what happened to his body you know it definitely wasn't saved as a mummy because he was not an Qibti to begin with he's not Egyptian if you have the right history you won't have these problems do you understand all these stupid nonsense that we are uh, you know fed by non-Muslims who are trying to make fools of us and for us to misunderstand our own sources and texts, do you understand? So Egyptians would mummify their bodies, right? But here with, with, the, with the Arabs, they didn't used to, you know, didn't used to do that. So again? No, Misr is that area. Uh, but we see the Egyptians and all the nations that ruled over Egypt never called it Misr. Right, if you go back to the original rulers of Egypt going back three, four, five thousand years, they used to call it, there's a name, call it, they call it Het Kapta. Right? 
This then what led to the naming of Al-Gipt and Egypt or Egypt, right? That, that transformation. So even the nations who conquered them and ruled, ruled over them, like the Romans at one time, the Greeks at one time, the Persians at one time, they all referred to that land as Al-Gibt, right? So, so, and because Fir'aun was not an Egyptian, he is an Amalik Arab, right? It's important for us to understand that distinction that the Quran says Misr, and the Sunnah says Misr, and our scholars say Misr, right? If we don't make that distinction, then we fall back into that same problem of saying, well, it was the Egyptian pharaohs when it wasn't. It was the Egyptian rulers when it wasn't Egyptian rulers. Do you understand? So the Misr is, is that region where today it's basically Cairo, Ismailia, that fertile region known as a trade route and a trade hub. That area. Yeah, that area, that area. Yeah, basically that area, yeah. Again, you have to understand that borders and boundaries are not the same over thousands of years, do you understand? So, um, so what is today the state of Egypt going all the way down south, whatever, that's not what Misr means necessarily when it's referred to in the, in the Quran. It's referring to that top area, right? Whereas to the Egyptians, Al-Gibt, it means maybe something different. Yeah. So, inshallah, if your children are taught in school about the Egyptian pharaohs, just make it clear to them that it wasn't the Egyptian pharaohs. There's no evidence for that. And that is not true at all. And it differs what's in our history. Teach him our history, inshallah ta'ala.